You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe. And today we are going to talk about running a business and being a leader with a whole person purpose in mind. My guest is a gentleman named Kerry Stover. Kerry has uh, done some study and some work in this area and is going to share with us today. So, Kerry, welcome to the show. Doug, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. And as most of my listeners know, we have a little bit of a tradition here. I like to ask my guests to start off with a little bit of a backstory, talking about your journey and what has led you to this place and your passion for helping people in this particular area. Sure. I got my start uh, in business with computers and founded a very impersonal world. Uh, back in the day, being in a hurricane-proof bunker of a data center in New Orleans, Louisiana, with no windows and working, you know, never knew if it was light outside or not. And I just decided, you know, this was not really what I envisioned for my college career. So I was fortunate enough to land with what is now Accenture and a technology thing and interacting across a variety of businesses, uh, industries, uh, using my technology skills. And uh, rose to partner there uh, pretty quickly, got involved in a number of different facets of it. Uh, I also watched as it change from being something that was very focused on developing individuals to being something that was more about shareholder value. Uh, not that that's wrong, but a true emphasis changed when it went from being a partner held company to being a public company. Uh, and I knew that that wasn't for me. So I left to um, do some things to allow me to be closer to the family, stay at home and, uh, or at least be closer to home and not doing the travel I was doing. Uh, but I yearned to get back into something in the consulting. I did a little bit. I bought a business, uh, that did consulting in the market research area, uh, solving problems around sports sponsorship and sales and learned a lot. Uh, but eventually I was led back through friendships to work, uh, to come on board first as a board member and then as the COO of Parivata Solutions. Uh, where my friend Bruce Bounty had founded a company to pursue his dream of developing people, particularly around building better architects in terms of individuals in the business world. Uh, there's a number of people who can build things, but can they design things well and think of them from an architect perspective? And I knew Bruce had a passion for developing people, uh, but it wasn't well until I was inside the company for a couple of months, I really saw that our company, Parivata, had taken developing people to a whole new level of investment in them. And it really hit me at that point. I had always cared about developing people, uh, but I had never placed people at the center of the company operations. Even in a consulting headcount-driven business, there's a lot of things going on and people would come and go, but you could tend to see people more as an asset, uh, as a resource that gets used uh, versus your main asset. Uh, that is something that you need to develop, invest in, uh, and um, bring them to the highest level possible. Uh, and then from that, it becomes, do you really bring them to the highest level possible for the company or for themselves? 
And that was the light switch that got turned on for me when I got to Pariveda and saw that movement. And so that's become a passion of mine in my 15 years here. You know, it is interesting as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, I, I don't even remember how long ago it was that I heard the phrase, our people are our most valuable asset. And I, I can vividly recall, even though I don't remember the date, and it was a long time ago, uh, I remembered thinking to myself, I'm no, I'm not your asset, you know, I don't, don't talk to me like that. And I, I was basically offended by the idea. And I, I have tried to continue to process that, and I still fundamentally come back with the same conclusion. There's, for me, there's a kind of a disconnect there between classifying your headcount as an asset. I get it from a financial standpoint. I get it from a spend and investment standpoint. I'm an old banker, so I know numbers. You know, I know how to <laughs> to do that. But I think in the evolution of the workplace, and I had a guest on my show yesterday, we recorded an episode that really, he's done a lot of work in the space of what do employees want. And it was fascinating that some of his results and things, and it, for me, it sort of ratified my thinking, you know, don't talk to me about being an asset, but, uh, you know, so it sounds like, and I may be projecting, but it sounds like you made a little bit of a bridge in that yourself in, in thinking about the whole person focus of, of, knowing and learning how to develop and optimize and maximize the potential that's in your your workforce i think you said that well the um if you look at a person as an asset you tend to want to then invest in their skills and most companies do that they do great training of skills they teach you how to be a better manager they teach you how to conduct meetings well they think you how to negotiate uh, contracts they teach you how to uh, code or learn new languages or whatever it is functionally and technically. But what a person needs is to be seen as a whole human being with a life that is part inside a company and part outside the company. To be seen as someone who's not just functionally a person, but also emotionally a person. And how do you help them develop them on more of a vertical development uh, framework of how do they see themselves in comparison with other people. And that's not something many companies consider the vertical development of individuals. And so when you look at a company, when a company says, you know, we're, we have a human centric approach, they should be looking at the whole person. Uh, when we, uh, evaluate people, um, we have a framework we use, and I can explain that maybe sometime later in this uh, conversation. But it's a qualitative assessment of where someone is against the expectations for their levels. And it's very open and published. One of the only few numbers in there is how much are you contributing to your community? And how many hours are you giving back into the community? We want our people not to just be assets of the company. We want to be citizens in the community and recognize that because we are, like it or not, we're all citizens in a community. And we want them to be better in the community. And maybe that has an intangible benefit or intrinsic value to the company at some point in time. But certainly it's not going to be in a dollar uh, measurement. It's going to be in 
the relationships that are developed where our name is shared, the, the just the goodwill that a person takes from being a, an alumni of our organization and carrying that forward in their career. Uh, so recognizing them as humans, recognizing there's a fullness to their to their humanity that exceeds the work hours that they put in for the company will make them a better employee in the end. And I think people want that. One of the things that we recognize is it's not people want, people have agency. And most companies think that engagement, and if I do these things, they can, you know, they they will, you know, attract people. But people always have, you know, the vote of their feet to any place else they want to go work. And we believe that recognizing them more as humans rather than as assets will be a key uh, to helping them be better in life. And hopefully they'll be better employees uh, for a good period of time with us. But we don't want to wish them just to be with us forever. We want to make them good regardless of where they end up in life. Right. Well, as you were saying that, I was thinking about studies that I've read that clearly indicate the younger generations in the workforce uh, are are demanding that community involvement, and, and they're looking for companies that have made pledges to give to the greater good, you know, whether it's through charity or through allowing time. And I know a number of small businesses in my area that are very proud of the fact that they they budget work days as a as a team into the community and, and their various charities they support. It might be Habitat for Humanity. They'll, they'll go work on a build project or it, it may be a food bank or or something like that. But they will have an opportunity where it's paid company time to go do that event and take the half day or full day off once a quarter or once a month in some cases and, and go do that service. And again, back to the studies, a lot of studies are indicating, again, the, the younger employees in the work world want that as part of the mix. Absolutely. And we saw that during the, the peak of the pandemic when you know, societal norms were really um, affected uh, by that. And there's been uh, in those same studies, uh, they'll speak to the lack of um, trust in institutions. So not trusting the police, not trusting government, not trusting. And so and not only is there this growing sense of a desire for a company to have purpose, but the younger employees are looking for the company to stand for its purpose because they don't really have anything else in life that is standing for what they believe is right in the world. And they want their company to speak up and to represent that because there isn't another institution that they're trusting. So it's been an interesting movement of how corporations have had to deal with that, you know, that look from employees to what do you really stand for? So not just give me time to be in the community, but does the community itself, it, do you have a voice as a corporate voice into the community about what should be stood for? And that's uh, gone in parallel with what you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So as as you have kind of leaned into this work and, and maybe going back to your experience with that one owner leader that you were introduced to, 
what was some of the tangible ways that you saw the the mind shift for focus on this human centric approach? First, everybody is treated as an individual, and everybody is given the same treatment as an individual. In the large corporations that I worked with, when managers did reviews, the only people that management, you know, sort of the uppers looked at was the people at the edges. We can only have 10% of our people in the top, you know, as top performers. So we're only going to discuss the people who are right on the borderline of the 10%. You know, that's it. And everybody else doesn't get a discussion, doesn't get a hearing. And you're only discussing why are they different? None of this is really helping the individual develop. And so what I found here was a deep focus on talking about the individual, their strengths and weaknesses, and then how do we give them the same standard by which we're judging them and make it transparent so that they know what the judging rules are? And how do we give them clear feedback that aligns to that standard performance measure so that they can see what do they need to do to get promoted to the next level? And by creating everyone the individual opportunity, so everybody gets discussed in the reviews, not the people who are right on the borderline, and we have to debate whether they're in or out of the top quartile. Right. Everybody gets the same discussion. Everybody's measured against the same metrics. Everybody's given the same feedback. And we have officers who QA the process to make certain the standards are applied consistency consistently across the company. And it's a great, it's a it's a huge investment of time. When I first got here, uh, one of those review QA sessions I was sitting in on, uh, our founder was sitting next to me and we were entering the fifth hour and we talked about four employees. So we've got 10% of the lead of the company at the time was in this meeting and we're talking about four people over an hour each. And he leans over to me and says, so what do you think? I said, this, Bruce, this is an amazing investment in each person. I'm not sure how it scales. And he goes, well, that's why you're here. <laughs> so, so I quickly jumped in and tried to realize how do we make this scale so we can create this human-centric approach and deliver it as part of the psychological promise or contract that we make with our employees. You will get personalized development at all levels of the company throughout your career against a published open standard of performance so that you know you're being tre treated uh the same, and there's no uh, favored son or favored daughter of the favored partner of the company or that, that you work on a good job, therefore you're going to get promoted. You still have to have the basic fundamentals of each performance level and performing to it and open feedback provided to it and a good conversation around it. Right. You know, it reminds me as I coach and, and advise and work with business leaders of all levels, I, I have one premise that I frequently refer to, and, and that is I'm a big fan of Maslow's hierarchy in, in the ability to explain why it is that from day to day, a person shows up for work and on four days out of the week, they're rock stars, and on the fifth day, they're flat. And <clears throat> I, I get my leaders to think about understanding what Maslow's hierarchy says about the various levels that, that we live on 
in our life experience. And there are days when we fall all the way to the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, and we are literally fearful of our safety and, and you know, are we going to wake up tomorrow? That mm -hmm. kind of psychology. And there are brain science studies that say when we fall into a fight or flight mode, the, our brain chemistry changes such that we can't do the critical thinking and the intellectual work that's in our frontal lobes because all the blood has gone to other parts of our brain to mobilize and gear up and prepare for the fight or flight event. And, you know, as I, as I walk through that with clients, I, I see these eyes go, Oh my gosh, that does make sense. And now I know why, you know, I, I and, and so it, then that starts to bleed into the idea of as a leader, how do you be empathetic for your people? How do you meet them where they are? Whatever day of the week or whatever moment life event they may be going through and, and how do you support that, sustain that and balance that with the fundamental need for proceeding with the work at hand? Absolutely. Um, there's a, Similar um, framework that I look at, it's uh, developed by Suzanne Cook-Reuter uh, that talks about different levels of emotional, or I guess adult um, um, uh, intelligence. And it looks along the lines of, you know, essentially everybody wants to fit in, fit in at some level. So if you think about certain cultures where it's more important to be part of the community than it is to be the individual in the community. And then there's the breakout. So that's the individual looking at the community and wanting to be a part of it. And then a breakout at the next level is, well, why I want to be seen as an expert in the community. And that's a, a nice step, everybody. And you'll see this in, some, in, in many young careers. People want to get known for something, want to be something, want to be an expert. But an expert really wants the community now to look back at them as being special. Okay. Well, that's good. That, that has a place in one's development. But beyond that, then the, well, the next thing is for the individual now to look back at the community and say, with my expertise, I want to take you somewhere. I want us to achieve something. So that's the next level of behavior of someone looking to say, I can be a leader and move us to a goal. And they can see the benefits of the group moving to a goal. But then beyond that, there's a level of someone who can look and say, you know, it's not the goal that matters. It's the journey and the development of the individuals that matter. And over time, so now they see the community as moving towards a goal, but over time as individuals and other goals they may have and how they develop them towards that. And so what we see is that we have a lot of people we hire, 10% of our headcount comes off of college campuses every year, and they're eager and want to be part of our community. And then eventually what we've got to do is move them through these adult intelligence stages of being an expert versus being an achiever uh, versus moving into a transformer mindset uh, that we can get them to where they can be. Because to be a vice president you know, in a consulting world or be a managing director in a consulting world, you have to have some level of, of personal power uh, and, and a recognition. You can be an expert and you can be in some specialized niche where people will call you because of your expertise and you can be so 
valuable that you can do that. But the real leaders in our business and professional services are ones that move people not just through goals, but through their career journeys and doesn't move just the people in a company, but they move clients through their career journeys. They move companies through their career journeys and think about it, not towards a destination, but towards a lifelong journey that they're on. And so that to me is the is similar to Maslow's in one way, because you get to the top level and you're self, self-aware, self-authoring, if you will. And that's very similar to the, uh, to the mindset of if you're worried about your safety, it's hard for you to think about moving the community when you can't even think about whether or not you're going to, you know, whether or not you're still going to have a job or how you're going to be measured. So we want to take away those barriers that are presented in the levels of Maslow and move people along this journey. Uh, in the Cook-Reuter methodology. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, what about from a leader's standpoint? So I'm thinking of a you know, senior manager, managing director, regional head, something like that, that's looking at a workforce. Is, is there a kind of a, oh, I hate the word, but I'm going to use it, a, a kind of a grading of, looking at your workforce and realizing there's not everybody's going to be a rock star not everybody's going to be the super achiever even when they reach their own sort of personal self-actualization and growth and maturity and who and what they are they're just not going to be as strong or as uh, demonstrative as some other person on the team where does the level fall on that or the balancing of, of looking at a workforce and with that kind of consideration? One of the things that I've seen in my journey through consulting firms uh, is that people look at the workforce and have that achiever mindset of getting projects done and who can be useful to them, et cetera. And when the project's done, they they kind of keep the in mind the good people that they work with and they want them back on future projects. But that sort of falls short in the human development side, where if you think about them just as employees, you're going to care about, well, how do they develop and how do I use them? If you've got an open mind to think about these are people who flourish in certain corporate environments will be better for them than others, certain expectations of performance, certain cultural aspects. Not everybody's in the right place at the right time to benefit themselves. And oftentimes the first two or three places that people stop in their career journey, they're just trying to figure out what type of corporation they should be in. And so I tell senior leaders, look, you owe it to everybody to give them opportunities, but don't be bounded by the four walls of your company when you're thinking about them. Think about what's best for them in the long term and coach them and most people that come, you know, I, I want to coach people to be the best they can be. And many times that's not inside our firm. They're not suited to be a vice president. They don't want to take on the selling mindset of a vice president. Um, that's great. Let's get you to where you can be and let's work with you to get you and get you a place where you're ready to take a 20, 30, 40% raise stepping out of our firm into another firm that wants you in a corporate role where the selling is more internal persuading and you're very comfortable with that with that limited scope and you can use your technical expertise, your people and your managerial powers to grow up to be a vice president inside of a corporation. And we'll all be better off if we find you that place 
and work with you to do that. So I think everybody has the obligation to see people as humans and to try and do what's best for them in their career and be in a position to have that kind of dialogue with them over time. That's not something you can just pop in and say, hey, I really think you'd be better off someplace else. It's like, no, you need to challenge people to think about Tell me what you really value. Tell me what you like doing here. Tell me what scares you about, you know, your career here. And let's be in dialogue about that over time so we can be aware of whether or not you really want to be the best you can be here, or is there some other better place that will be a better place for you and get the better of you out? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I call this a ghost from the past, but I can remember having developed my own mindset along that line early in my banking career. And I was, a, was put in management early on and, and had several, you know, successive increases in responsibility and so forth. But I tended to operate that way. I wanted to try to help my people grow and mature. And if that meant they either transferred out of my area or left the bank and went elsewhere, I was okay with that. And I was challenged by some senior leaders that said I was being not a good steward of, of company resources for allowing that to happen. And I, um, all I thought was, well, you know, I would sure hope you would do that for me. And if, if you're telling me that doesn't happen here, may, may, you know, <laughs> maybe this isn't where I want to be. That's <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that completely. There's, uh, there's a phrase, you know, if you want to, you know, um, if you want to do something for the, for the rest of your life, do it extremely well and don't talk to anybody about what your real desires are. Um, like that's it. So what we want is we want people to be open about what they desire, what they want. And let's make certain we've got a match. We, as I said, we hire college students, 10% of our company every year. In, it, history shows very few people start with a firm and end their careers with a firm, right? So they're going to change jobs sometime. The, it took me one stop before I found the place I wanted to be. You've got you've to understand that they're not going to be here forever, but let's make each other better during our time together. Uh, we established, we're going uh, on our 20th uh, anniversary of founding this uh, fall. We established an alumni network. And we've got over 150 ex-employees, but we, but we call them FINS. Uh, it's a short acronym we use for um, uh, for someone who's who's a inside the firm. We call our employee FINS. It comes from a dolphin mindset. It comes from they have the most human-like characteristics that we want to model uh, inside the dolphin world. And so we call our, our uh, alumni group the Finity. Uh, group and we have about 150 to 200 um, fins, former or well, still fins who are now employees in other companies, and we get together, and it's a very very fun group because many of them come back and say, "Look, you developed me so well that I'm able to do these things," and while I didn't want to leave at the time when we talked, or maybe I felt guilty about leaving. You really coached me into a better place, and I really appreciate what you've done for me. And it's a great thing to hear. Um, and I'd hope other people would do that versus pe people just being forced out and not really being brought on a journey about how their development would be enhanced if they actually were in a different corporate environment. 
Right. Well, kudos to you for for that and having that community of of people that are appreciative of the opportunity and you know again I'm I'm thinking and I want to camp out on this idea of you know a lot of people that rise up in leadership roles uh, do so by virtue of some legacy thinking they've they've observed leaders before them in a company how they behaved, how they how they spoke to people, how they treated people. And because those individuals had success rising up the ranks, then the up the new generation coming up adopts some of those same behaviors. It's classic modeling, you know, they mm-hmm. this behavior was modeled for me and it seemed successful at the time, so now I'm gonna do it. But the reality is a lot of big companies that I'm familiar with are realizing that that sort of traditional legacy modeling is not keeping up with the marketplace. And the input of new employees, and again, I go back to the younger generations entering the workforce, they have different expectations. They have different values, different visions of what work is supposed to be about. And if you're bringing forward some sort of hundred-year legacy of management and leadership framework, and now you're colliding with this new thinking on expectation, it's uh, it's not a pretty picture sometimes. <laughs> indeed, indeed, and there's uh, a lot of um, conversation around how do we get to empower people uh, and empower teams more effectively inside of organizations. You know. Uh, Amazon is noted for their 12 person limit on teams and, you know, any meeting can't have more than more people than you can support with two pizzas or something like that. So uh, you have, you know, there's this thirst for people to be in small and nimble and have empowerment uh, to do things. And so uh, one of the things that uh, our company did was implement a governance uh, model called Holacracy, which really attempts to put the power for the organization into the hands of people. So when we did this, what the transition is, is that as a boss, if I wanted to reorganize, I could reorganize. I could just say, you move here, we're here, we're moving some things around, splitting things up. I could just do it. And, uh, you know, if I were a, a good boss, I would probably work with people through the change, I would take them and have them understand. I'd listen to their concerns about the change. I would give them opportunity to air those uh, privately, maybe publicly. A bad boss just makes a change and says, just suck it up and go do it. Holacracy is more of a governance model where the organization is decided upon by the group. So if I were the leader of one of the units, I can propose a change. But I have to get it through a group conversation in a structured way where people can actually offer suggestions before it gets approved. And those suggestions have to be considered or else it doesn't get approved. Uh, And that to me was a big mindset shift in my journey also was uh, not that I didn't do that, but I never really made myself vulnerable to making it a public event where I want to change this function and split it into two. Here's the reason. I would talk people through that, but I never sat in front of a group 
and allowed them the opportunity to really comment on it in a bra- a safe space, a brave space. And so that's what people are thirsting for, is that opportunity to be part of the decision-making about how their work is done and what they work on. Um, again, goes to the agency. They want more agency given to them in organizations because they have agency and they'll use it if they don't feel like they're getting it inside their company. Yeah. <clears throat> so what do you talk to company owners and leaders about in terms of balancing the fundamental expectations, visions, and aspirations of the company versus this holistic employee mindset and, and balancing what those individuals may bring to the game and, and have as in the way of expectations? Every company has employees. I mean, there's no company that exists without employees of any meaning, right? There's shell companies and other things, but it, it is the people. So as a leader, you set the tenor for the company. You set the culture. Culture is the accepted practices and beliefs. What do you want to have as the culture of the company in order to have the employees operating at the highest level? You can tune systems and you can tune processes, but in the end, all those things do or do what what people tell them to do. Like a process is designed by people. A bad process is the result of somebody designing it poorly. A bad piece of code is from somebody writing it or not knowing the requirements well. So how do you get people inspired to operate at the highest level to reduce error, to perform it? at their best, so the company performs at its best? How do you reduce friction in the company so there's less spent time in discussing things and more time doing things? Those That's what a leader should be doing, is worried more about how do I get the most out of the people in my company? And the best way I've learned to get the most out of the people is to treat them like humans and see them for their humanity and to develop that humanity and they will then want to be part of a company. They will want to be led by somebody who cares about them, who's smart, cares about them, and is going to develop them to be better. I had an engagement recently. I was asked to come do a, a, a sort of a team training exercise at a small private business that had, had been in business for quite some time and they had a good record and had good earnings and all that. And when I when I landed there, I was I was very impressed to find that the average tenure at the company was seven years. And, and and there were younger folks sitting around the table, and and as 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 we got into the group settings, you know, I asked everybody to go around the table and share a little bit about you know their their time at the company, what their role was, etc. And I was amazed. I, I, there were very few sitting at the table that were less than a year with the company, and it um, very low turnover rate. And I started talking to the HR director, and I said, "What what do you think has has allowed this company to do that?" And and they she said, "Well, the the owners are are very generous and very giving, and they do have some high goals and high expectations, but 
they are very in tune to the needs of everybody on the team here and people subsequently appreciate that. And I like your phrase earlier, you said it, you know, people do vote with their feet. Well, in this case, the vote was, I'm not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> Standing firm. Standing firm. <laughs> and um, I, I, I then, it was about a three-day engagement, and I, I was having a lot of sidebars with different people just in my own curiosity. And sure enough, there were many, many stories of, you know, I was pregnant and I had complications with my delivery. The company didn't blink an eye at the time I needed to take off. They didn't cut my pay. They didn't penalize me. I, uh, you know, I was made whole and it sure lightened the load and I was able to recover faster, et cetera, et cetera. And that sticks with people. They, you know, they remember that and they seldom take advantage of those genuine expressions of respect as a human being. That is true. And they don't get it in many companies. And so that's why the, the really good ones stand out. Um, well, just if I may just real quickly add on to that, I, I got into one uh, session with the very senior leaders of the company, not the owners, but just the layer right below them. And we got into a discussion of the fact that um, there was actually a level of frustration when these leaders that were out doing the work day by day did occasionally run into an employee that needed to be disciplined and or probably discharged. The owners wouldn't allow it. <laughs> the, the, the owners <laughs> said, no, we got to give them another chance, you know, redeploy them, give them some more training, do something. But they were incredibly slow to release people once they had them. And that is, that's a risk. I mean, that is a risk that you care so much about the person that you can't recognize the impact they're having on others. And I've seen um, the the issue turns about that if you fail to act on them, it sort of sets a culture that the excellence you want is undermined by your hanging on to low performers too long. Right. And then it drives other high performers away because even though they love everything about the company, high performers want to be with more high performers also. Well, that's exactly where that discussion went. And, um, you know, I, certainly offered my services to sit and talk with the owners about the merits of being a little more proactive in believing their their leaders and their leadership team when when they came forward and said we've got a problem here we need to address it and you know they they were in a somewhat heavy industrial situation and so there were safety factors and protocols and heavy equipment that was <clears throat> subject to you know, danger in the workplace. And if, you know, people, for instance, violated a safety rule, then bad things could happen. And so, uh, you know, there were things like that, that, um, but my point is all the good intentions occasionally err on the side of being a little too lenient on some of those things. And there's a balance in there somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to the point of, uh, in my career, there's an individual um, who had stayed at level in our company, was not getting promoted to the next level, and but he was really good at that level, really, really good at that level. 
but he was at that level for seven years and the, the most should be about three. And then what happens is he's really, really good. And he's a, he, people, people loved him for what he did, but we were robbing him of a chance to move to another level in a different environment. And so by not dealing with people who weren't ready to be promoted for, or weren't promotable over time or were have issues in performance, you end up hurting their career by holding on to them too long. You need to figure out what would be a better environment for them to be in and let's work to get them in that. You know, that's, that's my advice to people is don't be bound by the four walls of your company when you think about the development and the, the growth opportunities for the people that you're working with. Think about like outside that. the box. I like that. Well, Carrie, this has been very valuable. I appreciate your insights. Tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, Carrie, K E R R Y Stover, S T O V E R. Uh, you can also find me um, uh, at the Parivada website, uh, and you can reach me through that. And um, just, uh, and uh, that's probably LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach out. Okay. So. Well, very good. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, sitting in and sharing with us. So and thank you for what you do, Doug. Thank you. You bet. As uh, as always, folks, the uh, information that Carrie just shared will be in our show notes. You can hop down in the comments in the description of this episode and get that information, get those links. So uh, please do, you know, check him out and, and go over there and visit. I do like to remind everybody we've got a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And I invite you to Hop over there. If you're a follower of the show, you you like what you've got here. I have opened up a VIP membership platform over on YouTube, and we've got some special perks for people that join in over there. You can uh, check out the various membership levels. There are three that are available, and uh, look forward to seeing you in, in one of those group settings soon. But for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.